minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. We are back. I am here. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig, as always. Welcome back to another Friday edition of the show, Andrew. It's great to be here, Kyle. I'm really excited about the series that we're doing right now, going through each Friday, um, because it's giving me a chance to reflect on some of the things that happened in the NFL this offseason outside of 1265 Lombardi. So um, excited to talk some football and and hopefully take a look back at some of the things that have uh, transpired and how they'll affect next, next season. Yeah, absolutely. We are super excited to be diving into a breakdown of the other NFC North's team's off-seasons over the next few weeks because there's just always another layer of the off-season to peel back and study just a little bit closer. And because really in just a few months, we are going to want to know as much as we possibly can about the Packers' 2019 opponents. So we're starting with division rivals, and then in just a few weeks, we'll take a look at Green Bay's 10 other opponents that they'll face throughout the season. But last week, we got started with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, who are hated uh, by all. And we took a look at their offseason and really where we expect that they are as they head into 2019. So if you missed that show last week, make sure you go back and you give that one a listen. But today we are taking a look at the Detroit Lions and what they've done over the past several months to try to get a little bit better um, after coming off another disappointing season in 2018. Last week's Viking, Vikings episode was a ton of fun. It was really cool just to take a look a little bit uh, closer at who the Vikings are and where they're headed. So I'm really excited to jump in here and put the Lions under the microscope just a little bit more. Yeah, I think it can be fun to dissect another team's offseason. And of of course, it's better than, um, you know, picking apart every single draft pick and every single free agent signing. Um, but one of the things that you always say in the intro, right, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. Yeah. And they, they do post our podcasts. And um, sometimes those get retweeted by people. Um, and last week's breakdown of the Vikings offseason did just that. It got retweeted with a one-word response from Aaron Nagler, the Aaron Nagler. Uh, <laughs> just just gross, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> breakdown of the Minnesota Vikings I was off-season. like, thank you, I guess. <laughs> so it seems like this particular idea is off to a very positive start. Yeah. Uh, sarcasm fully intended. The Lions are coming off a 6-10 and 10 record, and what a weird season it was for them. Um, I, I actually was giggling to myself as, as I was looking back at this. They lost the Jets, the 49ers, and the Bills. But they beat the Patriots. So um, they weren't the worst team in the league, but somehow they felt like the most helpless. I'm, I'm not sure you could identify an area in this team that you would consider a strength. So certainly they had a lot to improve upon. So Kyle, how, how did they do that through free agency? 
Yeah, I remember that when they they played the Patriots and they beat them, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe like maybe the Lions are putting some stuff together. Maybe this is for real, you know. Um, I actually grew up in Michigan, and so the Lions were the team that I was always supposed to like growing up. You know, I grew up uh, liking the Bills, and I actually went through a stint of liking the Jacksonville Jaguars before coming home to the great fan base of the Green Bay Packers. But um, the Lions were always the team that I was supposed to like, you know, just being from Michigan. But they continually let their fans down. You know, we got to watch Barry Sanders in his prime, had Calvin Johnson, uh, the Scott Mitchell years, but just were always a team that let their fan base down. So easy to move on from. And you use the word helpless, I think, uh, to describe uh, last season. And I think that that's a trend that Lions fans would uh, fully empathize with and in in just know too well. So uh, free agency to talk about uh, what the Lions did this offseason. It really got off to a big start for them when they picked up defensive end Trey Flowers from the Patriots. And the big splash signings of signing of Flowers was just as big as the contract that he actually signed. Flowers agreed to a five-year, $90 million deal with Detroit. And his contract kind of set the mark for guys like Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, who got paid healthy uh, a healthy amount themselves, but not quite as steep as the $18 million per year contract that Flowers signed. Uh, going into the into the free agency period, I really liked Trey Flowers for the Packers, actually, not because I thought he was the best scheme fit in the world, but because he was a proven player who had multiple seasons of success, and he seemed to get better every single year. And he seemed to be a little bit safer option than a guy like D. Ford, who was really just a one-year production guy. And the Packers ended up targeting players who were kind of similar to Flowers. They did target those big-bodied edge rushers. Coach Pettin had made some comments about how they needed to stop the run first and foremost. And in not so many words, Pettin said that they didn't want players who were liabilities against the run on the field. And so I really thought Trey Flowers might fit the bill for what Green Bay was looking for. Uh, But instead, it was Detroit who stepped up with the massive payday for Flowers. Uh, And there will always be questions about a player who is leaving New England to sign a massive deal elsewhere. We've seen it with guys like Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler, who are still really, really good players, but they aren't the same guys. They're not on the same level that they were when they were in New England. So a regression from Flowers is definitely possible, and his contract is super hefty. Uh, But there's no doubt that the Lions signed an excellent pass rusher here who will be a great contributor to their defense right away. Uh, So Trey Flowers was the biggest name that the Lions added in free agency, but they also added tight end Jesse James and cornerback Justin Coleman, uh, who they expect to be big contributors to this team. Uh, The Lions are paying Jesse James an average of $6 million per season over the course of the four years on his deal, which is a pretty aggressive contract for a player who will end up being tight end two in pretty short order for reasons that Andrew will mention shortly. Um, But the Lions can get out of the Jesse James contract pretty easily after the first two years. So that's probably what we should expect and what Lions fans should expect them to do there with Jesse James. On a side note, the Lions also added tight end Logan Thomas. Um, After Jesse James and some additions in the draft, it looks like Thomas might actually be hard-pressed to make this roster since they have Michael Roberts as well, whom they spent a fourth-round pick on just a couple of years ago. So the tight end position in Detroit is going to be really, really interesting to watch and to see how that shakes out in Detroit amongst those guys who are fighting for really uh, those roster spots. But the Justin Coleman signing uh, was celebrated by Lions fans. They were really, really excited about that. And Coleman is known as one of the more competent slot corners in the game. I don't want to say elite. I think that that's kind of high praise for for 
for what he brings. Uh, but the Lions paid him an average of $9 million per year on a four-year deal. So we'll see if Coleman can live up to that dollar amount. He's going to need to because his cap number in year three and year four is $11 million per season. So that's a pretty rich commitment for a team to make to a player if he's not playing up to that. So we'll see if he lives out uh, that contract. But I didn't realize that Coleman bounced back and forth between New England and Seattle prior to signing with the Lions. So I'm sure his familiarity with Coach Patricia played a big part in both his interest in Detroit and the Lions' interest in him. So an easy marriage there uh, in free agency. The Lions also signed running back C.J. Anderson to a one-year deal. This could be kind of a depth signing, I think, but it could also not be because Anderson proved that he is still a guy who can tote the rock and have a pretty big role for a team when he was in L.A. last year. So we'll see if Anderson combined with Carrion Johnson gives the Lions what they need to really make an effort to run the ball a little bit more in 2019 as they've been rumoring that they want to for the last couple of years. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, finally, the Lions also added wide receiver Danny Amendola, who is obviously very familiar with Coach Matt Patricia from their time in New England together. And without Golden Tate, the Lions will certainly be looking to get Amendola the ball and get some production out of the slot. Um, as far as losses go, they added all these guys, but as far as losses go, um, and as I said, the Lions did lose Ezekiel Ansah in free agency, but they also lost defensive lineman Kerry Hyder uh, and cornerback uh, Nevin Lawson, uh, outside linebacker Eli Harold. But I would say outside of Ansah, there really are no notable losses that leave a huge role for Detroit to fill. So I would say that the Lions gained some nice pieces through free agency, even though they did kind of have to break the bank a little bit to secure their services. Yeah, and I'm not sure that Detroit had enough talent on the roster to lose anybody in free agency that would be of note anyways. Uh, their, their roster was pretty sparse last year. Um, and that's just not just taking shots at a division rival, but just the reality of the situation. Um, there aren't a lot of, of positions that I would maybe label as strengths in uh, you know anywhere yeah. uh, across their offense or defense uh trey flowers seems like a great addition um on the surface but he is definitely gonna have to prove that he's the first highly paid pass rusher who can truly succeed out of the new new england system and and you mentioned that there's some other big time defensive players that have left the patriots and not had as much success um after signing jesse james and logan thomas the lions have approximately eight thousand tight ends on their roster <laughs> um so more to come on that in our draft recap james is a guy i really like as a number two but you're right they are paying him a ton of money for that um so they're certainly going to have some expectations there um and he's not not necessarily going to be like the fastest gun in the West. Yeah. No. Wow. <laughs> I guess I, I should okay. like be, I should like be paying attention here. I guess. Yeah. That that so did not job that did not hit home. Um, Sorry. But, but certainly a solid, yeah, certainly a solid guy there. Um, since transitioning from quarterback, Logan Thomas hasn't really been given the opportunity to shine, but. He could be a big mismatch in the passing game. If Matt Patricia is following the formula of his mentor, Belichick, he'll find ways to get Logan Thomas involved. And I actually like Logan Thomas um, better than the tight end they drafted. You mentioned him. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Michael Roberts. Michael, Michael Roberts. Roberts. There we go. Yes. Um, Michael Roberts hasn't shown 
anything in Detroit. And I know they invested some draft capital, but um, I I think Thomas has a a decent chance of taking his spot. I also like the addition of Justin Coleman. Um, And you talked about him and he is really highly paid for a nickelback, but he has been highly productive with Seattle and he definitely has that experience playing in Patricia's scheme when he was in New England. Nickel has basically become a starting position in the NFL. And we talk about that all the time. Um, and the Lions got a pretty good one in Coleman. So um, I think that is value. And I agree with what you said about Amendola replacing Golden Tate. But my issue is Tate is better than Amendola. So the Lions not only got worse, but they didn't really save any money by doing it. Um, I guess the only upside is they got that mid-round pick out of the trade of Tate to Philly. Um, but transitioning into what they did in the draft class, um, because I think we both agree they didn't get a ton better through free agency. Um, they probably evened out in a lot of positions. Through the draft class, of course, the eighth overall pick, they selected TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, the tight end. And I love Hawk. I know you love Hawk. We, we talked yeah. about him endlessly leading up to the draft. And I think he's going to be a great tight end in the year or in in the NFL for years to come. My my player comparison for TJ Hawkinson is Jason Witten, and Jason Witten's a Hall of Famer. And if TJ Hawkinson is a Hall of Famer, I'm certain the Lions will be very happy with their selection. But for me, taking a tight end to pick eight is wild for anybody, much less a team that has so 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 many holes on the roster. It's it's like a really bad baseball team investing heavily in relief pitching. That said, it's hard to be upset about taking a player who has such a high floor, and it is far from the worst thing that they did in the draft. And I'm sure Matt Patricia sees, you know, some potential in uh, T.J. Hawkinson turning into that Gronkowski that that Tom Brady always had. Um, in the second round, the Lions selected linebacker Jelani Tavai out of Hawaii, and for me, Tavai is like a fourth or fifth round talent, um, and they're taking him in the second round and. I know Lions general manager Bob Quinn justified that pick by saying that there's usually like two or three linebackers who fit their size and athletic profile in any given draft. So if all the rest of them are gone, they have to nab one when they get the chance. Well, to me, Tavai, he's an effort guy. He has the versatility to play off the ball and also rush on third down. That's something, if you follow the New England scheme, that's really valuable, right? But he's very limited athletically, and he still has a ways to go with even basic fundamentals like his tackling technique. So, you know, with the eighth pick, they did have the chance to take Devin Bush, and they didn't. Oh, and now yeah, you're telling me like Jelani Tavai in the second round. I, that that's yeah, a tough. That's tough that's score. a hard one to justify. And like if if Devin Bush doesn't meet your athletic profile, you know, then I think you probably just need to revisit your athletic <laughs> profile yeah. a little bit. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. If you re-diagnose what you're looking for. Um, in the third round, they took defensive back Will Harris out of Boston College. And uh, he's another guy I thought might go in the fourth or fifth round. Harris has good athleticism, but he has struggled in coverage. And in this in this league, when you want safeties who are good in coverage, um, that's really tough to take somebody in the third round. And so for me, he's probably a special teamer. He could be a versatile third safety because he could probably play a little bit of free, a little bit of strong, but it seems like a big reach for me. Um, in the fourth round, they took defensive end Austin Bryant from Clemson, and I thought his greatest trait was the fun fact that like he was the fifth defensive lineman from Clemson and that that was kind of like the selling point like how does this guy not get on the field but um, he's a long athletic edge rusher but he really just doesn't have the functional strength to succeed right away Uh, he 
isn't super instinctive either. Um, his kind of got poor snap anticipation, but you know, he could hit, he seems like a long shot at this point, but I guess, you know, if you're going to take a shot on a guy, it's not the worst player in the world. Um, the pick I did really like was in the fifth round. They took uh, cornerback Amani Oruwarie. I said that right. Yeah. From Penn State. I got it. I practiced so many times. Um, the, he's actually my favorite pick of this draft for them. In the fifth round, he's a really good value. People were talking about him as end of the first round, easy second kind of player. Um, and if Detroit uses him properly, he could be a, a steal for them. He's able to win at the line of scrimmage and would succeed in his own scheme. Um, he's going to struggle a little bit with speed. And if they ask him to play too much man and he can't get his hands on somebody, yeah, he'll get beat. But in a very versatile defensive scheme, like the Lions are going to run, he could he could be really good. Um, in the sixth, they took wide receiver Travis Fulgham from Old Dominion. He's a guy I kind of like. Uh, he's big physical. He has good hands. He's not going to separate from coverage. But, you know, he's one of those wide receivers. If he learns how to run really good routes and he can make contested catches, he'll be a good pick. If not, he'll be out of the league in two years. So um, I guess, you know, a six-round pick, you take that chance. Uh, running back Ty Johnson from Maryland, I really don't understand this pick at all. He's undersized, and he probably doesn't do enough in the pass game to be a third down back. So that's not a great combination of traits. Thought there were some other running backs in the sixth round that were better than him. Um, in the seventh, they took tight end Isaac Nauta from Georgia. I'm sure you will talk about him because you you were <laughs> raving about Nauta early, this and then you saw combine <laughs> performance, and then not so much. Yeah. Um, so if you get the player you see on tape, this is a huge steal in the seventh round. If he plays like what he ran at the combine, he is not making it in the NFL. So he's a guy who is just absolutely dripping with intrigue because. He was like the sixth, seventh, eighth option in that Georgia offense. So he just never got chances. And the few times he did, he looked impressive. But he ran a 4.9140. That is not getting it done. So um, that scared a lot of teams away. And then their other seventh-round pick, they took a defensive tackle, uh, P.J. Johnson from Arizona. He's just... He's just a run, run stuffer, you know, just a big dude who's going to get in the trenches and clog up the running lanes, which I think there's value for, especially as a seventh round pick. And as long as they know what his strength is and utilize it properly, he'll be fine. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a draft class for Detroit, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but just like I wasn't super inspired by it. I just felt like they, they took a lot of took a lot of swings and on guys that like you can kind of see why they might fail more than they might succeed. So, um, you know, hope the best for all those guys, but they're lions. So we don't always have to hope the best for everybody, but I, I will talk about Isaac Nada just a little bit. Cause Andrew mentioned him and I really did think that he had some really good upside. Uh, I thought his tape was like pretty decent for what he was able to display. Like Andrew said, he was kind of like uh, one of the later options in that passing game. He wasn't going to get a lot of targets, but leading up to the, to the combine, he was telling everybody in the media that he was going to run a four, six And so I thought, you know, like he can be a functional blocker. He can be a guy who may, Maybe has some more ability in the passing game than he displayed in college. So he could be a steal in like the fifth, fourth, fifth round in this draft, you know, be, could be that guy. And then he goes out and he runs that 4-9. And so the possibilities here are that he had no idea what he was actually going to run. And he just like pulled a number out of thin air and said he was going to run a 4-6. Or 
he's really slow. Or, I mean, I guess the other option is he actually is 4-6, and he just didn't test well. Um, but I guess everybody went back to the tape to try to figure that out. But uh, going in the seventh round, I think people probably thought he actually is kind of a slow athlete. But the other possibility is maybe he's not. I don't know. And in fairness, Isaac Nata looks like the kind of guy who would run a four nine forty, and then like he, like scream and berate his son's little league umpire. <laughs> like that's what Isaac Nata looks like. Yeah, he could be that guy for sure. But uh, I mean, so I was kind of disappointed. I thought he might be that guy, like a little bit later in the draft at the tight end position. But um, every year there's a player or two or three that Packers fans absolutely love in the pre-draft process that inevitably go to teams that we as Packers fans can't stand. And the one that comes to mind is I remember being so irritated when the Vikings drafted Eric Kendricks in 2015 because I loved Kendricks and I couldn't stand the thought of him being a Viking. He could have gone anywhere almost, you know, and I would have been happier, but him as a Viking was just really hard uh, to stand. But uh, one of those players this year was TJ Hawkinson. And I I was torn about whether or not the Packers should select him at 12, uh, regardless of how good he was, just like Andrew said, really just because of positional positional value. What do you do? Uh, do you take a tight end in the first round? Do you take one in the top 15? But I loved Hawkinson. And so I, you know, seeing him go to Detroit is really, really tough. Um, but after Hawkinson, I really wasn't a huge fan of this Detroit draft at all. Like I said, I, I felt like they reached for need a lot. I thought they got a steal, like Andrew said, and Amani Aru Awarie, and I probably butchered that worse than Andrew did. So it's well close. done, Andrew. <laughs> I know I'm overthinking it because you did it so well. Uh, but getting him in the fifth round was just awesome and uh, great value as far as I'm concerned there. Uh, not sure really how he got that far. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's reasons that we don't know that, that dropped him there. Uh, obviously, you really can't grade a draft uh, until several years down the road and after those picks are made. But all things considered, I really thought the Lions really failed to maximize value in this draft and kind of came away with a mediocre group when all is said and done. So just not a super impressive draft as far as I'm concerned. But uh, as you know, we've looked at free agency, we've looked at the draft class. So let's go ahead and make some judgment calls here, Andrew. What do you think? Did the Lions get better or did they get worse over the course of this offseason? Well, coming into the offseason, I thought they were pretty well set to get a lot better. They had some cap room. They had good draft capital. And I really hate their draft. Uh, <laughs> Hawkinson can end up being a great player. And this might still be an awful haul. Like, even if Hawk is really, really good, I don't know if he does enough to make up for the rest of what they got. I don't see a single contributor coming from rounds two through four. And they had some nice under-the-radar moves in free agency. I talked about Justin Coleman, Danny Amendola, Logan Thomas. I like all those guys. But I don't see how a really bad team from 2018 is going to get significantly better production from any one area, except maybe tight end. Um, and there, they're going to have some really difficult roster decisions to make. But, I mean, you know, if you're Matt Stafford, you're looking around thinking, this wasn't a very good team last year, and we didn't get a lot better. So is the pressure on me to try to throw for 6,000 yards this year. <laughs> and maybe he can do that, but I think you have to, as an organization, at some point make some decisions about how you can put your quarterback in a position uh, to get over the hump. Because even as well as Stafford has played, regardless of whether you think he's a great quarterback or an average quarterback, uh, it hasn't been enough. So the Lions really need to evaluate how they're building a team to put themselves in position to compete. Uh, but I wasn't really planning on talking about this, but I think one of the things that I would take away from this Lions offseason is that this has kind of been a patchwork offseason for them. 
And I know that, you know, they are a team that is chasing these other teams in the division. And so they needed to have a big impact kind of an offseason. And when you look at the contracts, I think you can feel pretty good about uh, the addition of Trey Flowers, even though that was a really steep contract. I think you can feel good about the Hawkinson pickup in the draft. But if you look at the pickups of, of Coleman and you look at Jesse James, these are contracts that you almost expect them to get out of in two years, even though they're four-year deals. And so these are patchwork contracts that they don't really expect to long-term impact this franchise. And do they actually think that they're competing for a championship in the next two years? So it's kind of a patchwork offseason, in my opinion, because, you know, Trey Flowers kind of replaces Ezekiel Ansah. And I'm not sure at the end of the day if Ezekiel Ansah, this might be a hot take, but I'm not sure that Ezekiel Ansah isn't a better player than Flowers. You know, like I think they might be comparable. Flowers, you know, might be healthier. He might be on the field a little bit more often than Ansah has been. But as far as on-field contribution, they might actually be kind of similar. And like I said, you know, Hawkinson is you know going to be an arguably awesome upgrade for the Lions at tight end. I really think he could have an awesome career. But typically, it's really hard for rookie tight ends to make a really big impact. So I think you're looking at a season or two before Hawkinson really comes in and, and hits his stride. So for me, the Lions moved a lot of pieces around. They made some additions. They, they made some subtractions. And I like some of what they did. But at the end of the day, I feel like they missed a lot of opportunities to really improve this roster in a crucial offseason when they're already chasing the other three teams in the NFC North. So for me, it was an underwhelming, underwhelming offseason for Detroit and kind of one that just kind of looked like some patchwork and really didn't make that big of an impact on what they can expect in 2019. Yeah, so from a Packers concern, which is, of course, always what we're focusing on, um, the Packers host the Lions in week six, and then they travel to Detroit in week 17. Uh, so, you know, certainly two big games. Uh, the week 17 game could have a lot of implications. Um, and the Lions had a really long way to go to, to bypass the Bears, the Vikings, or even the Packers. And in my opinion, they failed pretty hard to even make up a little ground. In fact, I think they lost some ground to all three teams. Um, and it sounds like you would be in agreement with that as well. So that is all the time we have for today. Hope hope you liked our recap of the Detroit Lions today. But this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike, Tyler, and Chris. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We're going to be back next weekend with a review of the Chicago <laughs> Bears offseason. So thanks for listening. And as always, remember...
After looking, hit as he throws it deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. Seeing Brown makes the touch. Five of his frame tumbled out of bounds inside the 30 of the 28 yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes. Mason yes. delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five, 13 yard line of Atlanta. Snap. Ryan looks right. Goes right to to the house, Bishop Freeland, touchdown, Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return, and it's 16-7, Packers. And Rodgers looks it over, takes the snap, blitz on, they pick it up, lost they got him, they got him.